let's pray, and then let's jump into our stuff. We're going we're gonna to try to finish up our stuff from last week, talking about the goal of spiritual formation, and then we're going to break into uh, some conversation this week, um, specifically about what the spiritual disciplines are going to look like. And uh, that's a lot of what this section is going to be about, but want to make sure that we understand kind of what and why, uh, or what we're aiming at, and how we believe we're going to get there, specifically um, the, the power, that, uh, where that resides from, where that, uh, where that comes from, so therefore where the glory ultimately is going to go. That's our goal for tonight, and I think I can get it done on time, but I always do, so let's pray. God, we thank you um, for your spirit that convicts us of sin and righteousness and the judgment to come. I'm grateful that Jesus taught us those truths, um, that he was not going to just abandon us after he left, um, but he was going to send um, the spirit, the spirit of truth, the spirit of comfort, the spirit of guidance, the spirit of holiness. Um, So I just, I thank you for that. I thank you for the fact that it dwells in those of us who by faith believe in you and in your plan of salvation through Jesus. Um, We thank you for not just the fact that it makes us better people and nicer people um, and people that have more peace, um, but God, that that somehow that you would dare to to, to give us this this aspect of you um, is truly a humbling thing. There's nothing that we could have ever done to have deserved it. And it just points to how loving and gracious and kind and generous you are. And may that be truly um, what moves within our hearts, deep gratitude and thanksgiving, uh, that we are not left alone, we are not left um, somehow to our own mental ability or moral integrity to live out this faith that we have, but you have given us your spirit. May we recognize that, may we respond to it, because you are faithful. And all God's people said, amen. Let's give thanks for that. That's uh, uh, what I wanna do is, as I I said um, a few moments ago, I wanna deal with this issue. The the conversation about what it means to be spiritual and to talk about spirituality is something that's been really popular for a long time. And what's very interesting is it's, it's somewhat in vogue or fashionable to be a spiritual person. Um, if I were to say to you one thing, whether we disagree or agree with much of her thinking, one thing I have to admit is that Oprah Winfrey is a spiritual person. She is. She's a spiritual person. I, I say that meaning I believe that she has an awareness of things that are bigger to her. She talks about spiritual kinds of things, which means she seems to understand, and there are many, many like her, seem to understand that just the physical world that we know doesn't seem to be all that there is, that there's something else that's out there. In in philosophy, they will call it the metaphysical world, that which cannot just be quantified. So there is a spiritual element, and there are lots of people of different world religions that recognize that the world that we see and the world that we live in isn't all that there is. There's something out there. And truly, humanity, for thousands of years has always had that. Actually, that is, the, that is the, the primary way that people think. To find, I had this conversation with a young college student this week, to truly find an atheist is actually more difficult than you think. 
I actually asked this young lady, how many friends do you know that are just like hard and fast, there is nothing but the physical world, there's nothing spiritual in the world at all? How many of those do you really know? And she stopped and she went, you know, truly, maybe none. Everybody kind of believes in something, right? Again, I think that's actually a pretty true statement. So that would be spirituality, which means that what we're talking about here is not just this generic idea of spiritual formation, us being aware and sensitive to the other that exists in the world. But I wanted to write it this way, to really describe to us this, both the source as well as like the, the primary, the, therefore the, prim, the source, therefore the primary mover um, the object that we're even moving towards is not just this idea of spirituality, but as I was teaching in the, the Tuesday Bible study that I'm a part of, that what we are, what Nancy and I and Brenda are teaching this semester is, a, is, a, is, is biblical teaching from the New Testament, which is distinctively Christian, which means it has at its very heartbeat Jesus. So there's something else that's actually going on. And so what we're offering here is we're talking about the four pillars of discipleship. We began it back in August. We're going to be running it through all the way um, to just after Easter. Is not just spirit, spiritual formation, but at first, like, spirit formation. That's where it comes from. It's, it's, there is something distinct that you and I are talking about here that is not just in this generic spiritual sense but truly the spirit being formed in us. That's what we mean by spiritual formation. And I, I think it's important that we just stop and catch our breath and then ponder and to think. So what are we talking about here? And we're talking about nothing short of the spirit of the creator of the universe dwelling in us, having his way with us, and therefore purposing in us what he desires and what he wants. That's what we're talking about. And sometimes we forget about that. So I'm about to spend some time tonight talking about the spiritual disciplines, but boy, we, we really need to stop. And before we start talking about prayer and solitude and we start talking about Bible study and meditative reflection, which by the way are all wonderful things, they're wonderful things towards what end? The spirit being formed in us, okay? Now, now by the way, that, that doesn't mean that you and I are somehow just trying to manufacture this. It's not like we're making the spirit. That's why the Christian life in so many ways is a genuine act of submission. And that's why I think it's so hard for us to admit. It's so hard for us to surrender. It's so hard for us to let go. Why? Because it's the spirit being formed in you. Um, it is difficult for us to acknowledge, yeah, coach knows more than me, right? I'm always the guy that, no, I mean, thanks, coach. I mean, technically, I know you know more than me, but I really want to do this my way. Were you going to ask a question, Brother Tom? Yeah, yeah go ahead. What's the difference between spirit being formed and spirit filled? Okay. So you want to ask the question, the question that Brother Tom just asked is this, what's the difference between the Spirit being formed in us and then being filled with the Spirit? And I would say, in many ways, nothing. In many ways, nothing. 
um, that what we, we sometimes want to make a distinction, sometimes even in terms of the writing of the text, so particularly the book of Acts is where this question comes up quite a bit, Tom, is that the Holy Spirit comes down. So let's, okay, you're kind of taking me a little bit out of where I wanted to go, but that's fine. I do it to myself all the time, let's be honest, right? You have, within the Old and New Covenants, you actually have the idea of the Spirit of God, which is working in the Old Testament, and the Spirit then comes, and it would, it would describe this, that the Spirit would come upon Samson, and Samson would be able to do this great feat. That the Spirit would then come upon Moses, and Moses would testify. The Spirit would come upon Saul, and he would prophesy. You see this over and over throughout the Scriptures. That the Spirit would come upon Ezekiel, and he would be caught up and, and taken someplace different. Okay? That is the upon concept. Okay? What you actually have in the New Testament, which is radically different, Peter describing in the book of Acts, particularly his sermon in Acts 2. What he says is, is that the Old Testament prophesied, particularly in the book of Joel, the prophet, that there's going to come a time where the Spirit just doesn't come upon people and then empower them, but the Spirit will come and dwell within them. Okay? And the Spirit would then, would then reside in us in a way that is completely different. And that's what I would say becomes a little bit of a different game plan. So sometimes the words that we use, the spirit being formed in us and us being filled with the spirit, I would say if I wanted to try, if you wanted to try to slow me down and say, Jim, explain what you mean, I would say this. As I am a lost person because of my sin and by faith in Christ, I find salvation and I am now a saved person. That God promised is that at that moment of salvation, that then the Holy Spirit would come in me and fill me. Okay, that's for everybody. That's why it's one of the most interesting things to tell somebody, hey, you're about to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And they're like, okay, what is this going to be like? Like, will it, will it be like a burning sensation? And where, what is always somewhat, if I can be brutally honest with you, it's always kind of difficult because I don't want to go, well, you don't really feel it, feel it. No, actually, you should feel it, feel it. But is that like an emotional thing? Honestly, I'm growing more and more, more and more comfortable, comfortable saying, yes. It's just not only, a, only an emotional thing. Does that make sense? Like it is a reality. But I'm telling you, if it doesn't affect all of you, if it doesn't affect, and this is what we're going to see, if it doesn't begin to affect your thinking and your behavior and your emotions and your relationships. Like Jesus saved me, not just, this, not just my soul. He saved me. Therefore, I am filled with the Spirit. The Spirit comes into me. Um, th that's why when you really begin to think about like how this would naturally work, when Jesus Christ died for us, now all of a sudden, um, Paul says in Romans 3, okay, so this is, this is a great, thank you for doing this, because this is, this is be helpful, I think, for everybody, right? Are you guys enjoying this? I hope so. So think about this. So I'm lost, which means I'm rebellion against God. And this has been the humanity from Adam. So when did people get saved, saved? And do you want to know the answer according to Romans chapter 3? When Jesus died on the cross. That's when people got saved, saved. They did. What act? It's Jesus on the cross. So then what saved Moses? This is where the, the time thing can get a little weird on you. What saved Moses? Answer, Jesus' death on the cross. What saved Abraham? 
Jesus' death on the cross? Paul says that in Romans 3. If you think, well, Jim's just making that up. No, Paul says that God held back his wrath knowing that in the future, this is why it's good to have a big understanding of God. God holds all these things back, anticipating, I think with joy, that one day his son would come and pay for all the sins of the world, past and future. The book of Hebrews says that is necessary, the coming of Jesus Christ, because if not, the blood of bulls and goats would have taken care of it. Right? If, if, how many of you kind of grew up kind of thinking, and maybe I'll just kind of throw myself under the bus here, that in the, like Moses was saved because he followed the law and Abraham was saved because he followed the law to the best of his understanding. How many of you kind of grew up with that thinking? Yeah, me too. And I'm sitting in a Romans class and my professor goes, let's read Romans 3. And I'm like, whoa. I, I never, it's been there all the time. I never really realized that. So by the way, that is the value. That's why Paul is so in love with Jesus. Okay, so think about this. This is why in the end we're trying to understand how this works. It seems like the spirit comes into us after Jesus Christ in time has paid for our sin. Because the the adjective that describes the spirit is the word what? Holy. So what's necessary before the Holy Spirit can dwell in us? In that way, in that in that supernatural God prophesying through Joel the prophet, what has to happen? Like the atonement for our sins. And now all of a sudden, by the way, I think the book of Revelation chapter 12 says, and now the devil has no accusation against us. So remember when the devil went before God and said, yeah, that Job guy, well, the only reason why he could ever say that is because the, 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 I think the future, I don't even think the devil knew that Jesus was coming. And if he did know, it was because God told him. So the devil's not omniscient. You know that, right? Devil loves to accuse. He loves to accuse God, particularly about his people. Yeah, the only reason why those people love you, God, the only reason why they serve you is because you do good things for them. God says to the devil, have your way with my servant Job. Now what could the devil say about us? Seriously. What, what, what accusation could the devil level against you? Think about it. Think of, all the, think of the worst thing you've ever done. You got it? Okay. If he goes before God and says, hey, you remember when Jim Johnson did? The only, here's how that works out. So the devil goes before God and says, remember when Jim Johnson, da 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 And then God says, continue the story, devil, well, you sent your son to die for him and Jim accepted that and praise be your name. And God's like, boom, drop the mic, walk off, right? Like what, what can the devil say that doesn't bring God glory? Like it all folds in. This is the apostle Paul. This is Ephesians 1. This is Romans 3. I mean, this is it. This is the beauty of this, okay? And where this begins to fit in and last week I was trying to talk about how this has to be a natural part, sanctification, the, the Christ being formed in us is because the Spirit has filled us. And so that becomes the connection. And that's why it is so critical that as followers of Jesus Christ that we recognize like why and how these things fit into our story. So I accept Jesus 
God forgives me. I'm reconciled through the atoning work of Jesus Christ. He then gives me the Holy Spirit. Why? Because now I am holy because Christ's righteousness has been given to me. He gives me the Holy Spirit, which both actualizes what is going on and then is formed in me more and more and more and more and more. Does that make sense? But do you see how logical, and again, I'm not just trying to talk logical like reason, but do you see how, all, that, how orderly that is? Paul likes to talk about the orderliness of God. Do you see how that's like A and then B and then C? It's one and then two and then three. And so that's what we're talking about here. So I guess I want you to realize that as we talk, I'm not afraid of that word. I'm just so concerned that as we talk about this, that we forget it truly is the Holy Spirit forming Jesus' nature in us. That's what spiritual formation is. So whenever I talk about the spiritual disciplines or whenever we talk about this, by what power do we do this? So let's look at these things, and, and, and just, this won't take me long to walk through these things. So then the source of our transformation, you've, I, I preach about this all the time, and I feel like I'm preaching to myself more than anybody else. Like, what is the source of our transformation? Now, how many of you, like, you, you kind of wrestle with this. Like, I feel like Jim's telling me to try harder. Honestly, I kind of am. But the try harder is not like, it's not like you go out there and really try to not sin. It, it's not like you turning inward apart from what has filled you. That's where I'm trying to direct you. Not into you apart from the Spirit, but into you that has been transformed and now there is the indwelling of the Spirit. That's what we turn into. So do you believe that you have the Holy Spirit in you? Yes. That then becomes the source of our transformation. And, and that's why the Apostle Paul, particularly in the book of Colossians, loves to say things like, focus on these aspects of who Jesus Christ is and what he has done. Focus on what Christ has done, what Christ has accomplished for you. And then the next step is, and put to death sin. Do you see how he, he doesn't say put to death sin. Okay, now you can focus on Jesus. You stop sinning. You start having that bad thought. Are you done? Stop having that bad thought. Okay, now that you've cleaned up your bad thought, now let me tell you what you can do. The Bible does not do that. That's why you know this. You know this. There are people who come up and go, man, I'm just trying to get, I mean, I'll never forget meeting this one guy at Applebee's one time. And he was like, hey, he, he knew that his sister came here. And so he came up to me and he said, hey, man, I just I know you guys at Sunnybrook have been really helpful to my sister. And I just think that's great, man. And I'm going to try to get over there. But, you know, you know, Saturday night and I do some pretty bad things on Saturday night. But I'm working on cleaning that up. And I'm going to get kind of something, I'm going to get my, 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 my stuff together. I think he used a different word than stuff. But I'm going to kind of get my stuff together and then I'm going to get back to church and maybe, and I just looked at him and I said, that'll never work, buddy. Like, that'll never work. You'll always have stuff. You'll always be putting it off. Like, that's not what it is. I don't think you get anything of what I'm talking about on Sunday. It's not clean yourself up and come to church. But so many people believe that. That's why it's so important. Not that they see like the mess in us, but we actually give them the gospel instead of just morality. It's not clean that stuff up. My favorite story is from a dear lady in a previous ministry, sweet Wanda. And I'm, you guys have heard this story, but I like telling the story over and over again. So I'm marrying Travis and Amanda. 
And um, Wanda comes up to me, sweet, I mean, honestly, give her a break. She's a, she played the piano for years and years and years. She really is a godly woman. She means best. And she just says to me, Jim, i got to talk to you. I said, what's going on? Saw Travis down at the poppin' shop. There's just one place in town to buy beer, by the way. Saw Travis down at the poppin' shop buying beer. And I said to her, because I know Travis and Amanda, you do know Travis is going to hell, right? Like, you do know, like, he, he is. I mean, he'd, he'd tell you that. So I'm, I'm not trying to speak out of school. Like, hey, Travis, are you a follower of Jesus? No. I don't want to follow Jesus. Why would I want to follow Jesus? He gets in the way of all the kind of what I want to do with my life. And I tell Wanda, like, beer's not his problem. So many other issues. And, and honestly, Wanda looked at me and went, that's true. Thank you for reminding me that. I get where she was coming from, right? She, and by the way, it might be a good idea to not add beer to an already troubled life. Do you know what I'm saying? But just getting rid of beer doesn't get you right with Jesus. It actually doesn't help you. It really doesn't. And, and yet, every one of us kind of think, well, it kind of, some of you right now are going, well, it helps a little. You are. I, I sometimes think that. Like, it helps a little, right? Well, I'm just saying, like, the Bible actually teaches, if anything, like, the ones who learn to love much, Jesus says, are the ones who've been forgiven much. And by the way, the Bible also says, we do not continue to sin so that grace might abound. But that's why I'm becoming increasingly comfortable with talking to people in their brokenness and to recognize that the source of transformation has to come from outside, like, their goodness. Like, people don't get gooder and gooder and gooder and gooder and then get saved. How many of us actually kind of think that? The Bible actually says, we're all messed up. And then we realize how messed up we are. And by God's grace and for God's glory, we receive by faith this righteous life that Christ lived for us. Is that not it? I mean, I talked to a young lady right here on Sunday. She said, Jim, I, I really get what you're telling me. Like, I really, I mean, I know you were saying like a lot of people really don't like feel they're worthy or you, you th they feel like they're, they're, uh, they, they don't have a problem, or they do have a problem um, with the idea of their, their brokenness. And I'll tell you, I, I don't wrestle with whether or not I'm a sinner. I know I'm a terrible person. And I said, oh, okay. And you know, sweet Anna, the little girl that passed away? I said, so you're unworthy. Oh yeah, no, I know how broken I am. I am so unworthy. I said, you mean like Anna? Well, no, 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 like worse than Anna. So you caught her. Like Anna needed Jesus. You know that, right? So this young lady, even though she was kind of understanding her own brokenness, but she's not broken. I mean, you're not broken. She's broken. You don't get it again. Like we're all broken. Like we all need Jesus. Do you get that? Therefore, the source of our transformation is in fact the Holy Spirit. He is the one that works us into the image of Jesus Christ. We cannot use our own strength to manipulate or manufacture spiritual change. We cannot. That, in fact, is self-righteousness. Okay? Now, how all of that works, I don't know. Because I do believe in the famous statement that my good mentor used to always say is that God hits straight licks with crooked sticks. So I don't know how that works. And I, I think God is far more gracious to me than I will ever know. 
But I stand by that statement. You cannot manufacture and you cannot manipulate spiritual change. But to understand spiritual formation, you have to understand that God is the one who both initiates and then sustains our desire and ability to live more like Jesus. Let me say that again. He sustains both our desire and our ability to accomplish this. That's where it comes from. God, give me the strength to to do this. God, give me the ability to see this. Because without that, I think we're stuck to try to manufacturing this all of ourselves, all ourselves. Now, again, I I really want to be careful to just kind of make this crazy God way over here and us way over here. This is where your question is really helpful, Tom. Because what did I say? What's the problem with putting, it's God doing it over here, it's not you at all. What's wrong with that? It's like God, God didn't just say, yeah, it's me doing it all over here and that's why my spirit is way over here. Where is the spirit now? Right? It's in us. Which you'll, I'll show you some texts that describe that. It's in us. But it's God in us. It's not us earning God. And it's not us wrestling God and putting God in us. It's God in us. And that's why to try to, to, try to look at this as though it's like God, not us, isn't true. But to look at us like it's us kind of marshalling the power of God, man, that's really not true. What is it? God by his grace and by his spirit in us. And therefore we see this power. We experience this power that exists within us. And I think it's so critical that we get what is the source because without that source, then there is no ability. And again, I, I say this somewhat care. I'm not trying to, you know, I, I don't mind joking around a kind, but I'm not, I'm not joking around. So think of the Oprah analogy, okay? Let's not throw her under the bus. Let's kind of give her, I, I think she's, I really do. I believe she's got the best of intentions. I just think she's misguided. There is a difference between me and her. And the, the fundamental difference is truly Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. But in so many areas, to a world, it might look the same. And I would even say that there's a lot of Christians that have something that mirrors or mimics what she is describing, which is a a genuine spirituality, a genuine kindness, a genuine understanding that the world is big and mysterious, right? It just doesn't give glory and honor to God. It just doesn't find as its primary authority Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And and that's why you can really mask a lot of this stuff. That's why you got to be careful to just, there's nothing spiritual except for Christians. No, the Bible, Paul doesn't say that. But there's nothing that's God-honoring except for that which comes through Jesus. Do you see the difference? But there is a spirituality that exists. That's why we got to be careful that we remember the source. The second thing, so then what is the goal of transformation? The goal of transformation is not to become a better person. Because if I ask Oprah, okay, and I'm truly, I'm trying to be as respectful as I can. Oprah desires to be a better person, doesn't she? She talks like that. And by the way, it's, it's a great goal. There's, there's really nothing wrong with that. If there was no Jesus, I would say her goal is probably the best. It really is. It's, it's not a bad way to live. I'm sure she's unbelievably kind. She, there's always a present under everybody's chair, or at least there used to be after she had a show, right? She's a generous person. She's a kind person. So that's how she saw it. It's to become a better person. It is to achieve your goals. It is to realize your potential. It is to reach some kind of human perfection to the best of your ability. That's what it's all about, which, by the way, 
it, it just comes back to Jim, and then it comes back to Jim, and then it ends up with Jim. And at some point, you just go, wow, like, this is the best I can be? Man, I really haven't changed that much. And, and that's why you've heard me say this for the last few years. There are a lot of Christians, I've seen this even in my own life, there's a lot of Christians that try to kind of chalk up to like a spirituality or even a maturity, kind of more of your personality. There are some of us that just have more self-control than others. And so we can look more mature. You know what I'm talking about? No, you're, you're just, you're kind of a mature human. I don't know if you're a Jesus human. And I, and I want to be, without, without casting the final judgment, I'm not doing that. I'm going, like, as you, as you think through this, you know, we say this every year. Are you becoming more like Jesus as the next 365 pass by? Are you becoming more like Jesus? And I just want us to be so careful as a church that we're not just maturing in a spiritual way that is not a God-honoring, Holy Spirit-indwelling way. Does that make sense? And we really have to be on guard for that. That's why, and the only, by the way, here's the beauty of it. The cure for this is the gospel. It is the gospel that is, becomes the cure for this. Because the gospel reminds us of our need for Jesus. So the goal of transformation is not all of these other things. So as I begin to talk about prayer and Bible study and meditation, it's not about, and then you become this totally in tune person. No. It's so much more than that. What is it? The goal of spirit-led transformation is Christ-likeness. This is why you've got to get over the fact that what God desires for you is to live a life like Jesus. Okay, Jesus actually says these, this phrase. You tell me if it's crazy. Be perfect just as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, by the way, that, that doesn't mean sinless because we can't do that. And the, the, the Greek word is the, is, is, the, is the word teleos, which actually has more of an idea of complete, the end, the teleos, the ultimate destiny. It's about maturity. Jesus says, what I want you to be is I want you to be mature and complete like God is complete. Paul says in the book of Ephesians, be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. Right? Think about how many of the biblical texts tell us to be like Jesus. Paul in Ephesians says these two phrases, and thus within us, he talks about having the fullness of Christ in us in one text, and then the fullness of God in us. How many of you look at that and go, That's, we cannot accomplish that? I would go, sure, except for the fact that you have the Holy Spirit living in you. Like That's why we've got to really be careful doing this, yeah, I'm only human, I'm as bad as anybody else, that kind of language, you can't go, yeah, I was reading Romans 8, and I'm as bad as anybody else. No, Romans 8 says I have the Holy Spirit living in me. There's no excuse to pretend I'm a sinner. I'm a, I have the Holy Spirit living in me. You don't walk out of like Ephesians 2 going, oh yeah, I'm just like everybody else. No, like you don't get that from those texts. You get there is something profoundly different because of the work that the Holy Spirit is doing in me. That's why the Bible says this, and this, this is what's usually lacking. We know how to nag people to be godly. Come on, Tom, you can do it. Why are you acting like that? Saw so you the other day buying beer. You know, we know how to do that. And we definitely know how to kind of pick those sins that are kind of like easily marked. But the Bible says, encourage one another. 
Like encourage one another to live godly lives. Like if your brother sins against you, go to him and rebuke him. And when he repents, forgive him. And keep doing it over and over and over again. Be patient and bear with one another. Keep encouraging one another. Remind one another about the scriptures and call one another to holiness. This is what the Apostle Paul talks about all the time. That's what's missing in our culture. Because a couple of things happen to us. Number one, like it's my spiritual life. I don't need you talking to me about it. So will you just stay out of my business? How many of you kind of get that, right? My finances, my politics, and my spiritual walk. You have no business talking to me about it. How dare you? Who do you think you are? And we have created, I think the devil is the one orchestrating all of this. Shh, don't talk about it. Don't, don't do it. And, and sadly enough, then the only, we, we, know how to, we know how to be completely silent about it or we know how to be judgmental about it. Those are the two things that I know how to do. Like, so easy. I can fall out of bed in the morning and be judgmental about your spirituality or just shut up about it. But the Bible actually says, by the Spirit's direction, what do we do? We encourage one another. We remind one another of the scriptures. We submit one to, one, one to another out of reverence for Christ. <laughs> this is what the Bible calls us to do. Which means what? That we should be calling one another to act more like Jesus Christ. We should be saying, Paul in my office, me in Paul's, Hey, like we don't, we don't act like that. We don't talk like that. We, we, don't, we don't not talk. <laughs> Sometimes we have to have those conversations. It's not just about not saying bad words. It's about saying the right words to one another, isn't it? See, that's what biblical community is all about. So when I say gather, I don't just mean have a meal. I mean like share lives. And, and the sad part is, is that many of us aren't more like Jesus because we're not surrounding ourselves with other people who so desperately want to see that formed in us. Like, I have a hard enough time talking to my kids about it. I mean, truthfully, my wife and I have a great marriage, and even we don't talk about it enough, one to another. Like, I know how to complain to her, how I'm not seeing Jesus in her, but to truly, like, encourage her, like, to truly inspire, you know how hard it must be to have the guy that preaches on Sunday talking to you all the time? Pray for her. Think about it. And I do, I know how to nag her. I know how to, I don't mean to be judged. I know how to be judgmental. I know how to just, fine, you don't want to talk about it? You don't want to talk about it? Fine, I won't talk about it. How do I be Jesus? Only by the Spirit's power. So that is the goal of transformation, is me being more like Jesus Christ. Okay, so how does that happen? When Christ's character is formed in us and the competencies of Jesus, i.e. what we do. So our character and our competencies, that is what the Holy Spirit is actually doing in us. So then therefore, what are the requirements of transformation, i.e. the Holy Spirit has to be in us. We've already talked about that. The gospel of Jesus has to be the, the source of all of this. Those two things are necessary for transformation. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit within us. And when the Holy Spirit comes in us, he helps us understand the gospel of Jesus and then leads us to do things like repent and confess and believe and obey. And then what? Rinse and repeat. Repent and confess and believe and obey. And then what? Well, go to bed. What do you do? What? Wake up. And what? Repent and confess and believe and obey. And then what? We'll go to bed. 
And then what? Wake up. And then what? Repent and confess. That's what it is. So let me read to you this text because it's, it's, uh, it's, it's from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. And I'm, I'm in it this Sunday. And this is one of my favorite texts. And I, I'm not going to talk about it a lot because I'm going to be talking about it a ton on Sunday. But listen to this text and tell me if the Apostle Paul just thinks we're human and you know that's just the way you are and so yeah like we just we're kind of messed up people we're really kind of stuck in our sins look at what he says in verse 14 the natural person meaning the person who's still in their sin the person who doesn't have the holy spirit in them the person who doesn't believe in the gospel or know the gospel or experience god's transforming power the natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of god for they are folly to him and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. See the kind of the stark contrast? Now look at verse 15 as it continues. The spiritual person then judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. <laughs> you hear me? We have the mind of Christ. And it is by God's grace that we have that. And that's the transformation that actually takes place within us. So let's take a look at the next handout that we actually have here. So there it is. Um, so let's talk about now the spiritual disciplines. So we know the source. We know uh, like what our goal is ultimately going to be. What I want to spend a little bit of time now, and I got some great quotes by Eugene Peterson that I want to read slowly. Um, two books that I've spent a lot of time in. Um, one I picked up again today. I had to grab it out of Diane's office because someone else has borrowed mine. Um, and he's written two books. One book, uh, there's one book that he's written. If you want to read a really good book by Eugene Peterson, it's called um, Subversive Spirituality. It's a collection of essays. And a lot of these quotes are actually taken from that book today. Um, uh, Subversive Spirituality by Eugene Peterson. Here's what he says. Listen to this. Spirituality is the attention that we give to our souls, to the invisible interior of our lives. That is the core of our identity. These image of God's soul, or the, the, these images of God's soul that comprise our uniqueness and our glory. These images of God that truly become, it is, a, it is an attention. So hear me, it's, it can, this is where it can sound like spiritual in the generic sense, but it's not. It is a turning inward, but it is a turning inward as we've been called to, recognizing the work of the Spirit. And so you'll see the danger of that. So as you look at these spiritual disciplines, and as I lift up these spiritual disciplines to you, and hopefully over the next, say, few weeks, and we're going to do a couple of things through that. We've actually got um, a very uh, interesting, one of the nights we're going to actually come in here and just have a time of meditation and reflection. And I hope that you are excited about that. Uh, we're going to literally say, hey, it's not really time for Jim to just teach this. It's for us to reflect on. It's for us to meditate on these truths about God from his word. And we're going to do it in a number of different ways. We're not going to tell you exactly what it is. You're going to walk in it's going to be different, okay, one of those nights, and hopefully it'll feed you. Um, but these spiritual disciplines are what I want to call you to. I just want to really make sure that you understand, like, what we're talking about and what we're not talking about. Because sometimes when we hear the words spiritual and discipline, those two things sound contrary. How many of you kind of grew up and the word spirit or spiritual kind of meant, like, free-flowing, like, with no restraint, with no confinement? Like, a lot of people actually think that. 
And, and yet there's another side that goes, no, 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 no. It's spiritual formation. And it is about like harnessing this power and disciplining yourselves. I'm going, to, you're killing it. So which is it? Free-flowing, spirit-moving, inspiring? Yes. And it is a, not a harnessing like somehow we're in control. Actually, let's, let's turn that around. It's a harnessing so that who is in control? The spirit. Who is the one that is learning to submit? That'd be Jim. Who is the one that is kind of learning it's not about them? Oh, that'd be Jim. Who is the one that is now moving and empowering? Oh, that would be the spirit. Because when I'm left to myself, it truly ends up the glory of Jim. And what I like to refer to as Jimdom. I've got my own little kingdom, Jimdom. But when it's the spirit, it's the kingdom. When it's Jim, it's Jimdom. And so I want you to just kind of be aware of these things. So a spiritual discipline is the intentional habit or practice which nurtures spiritual sensitivity, I mean that in the purest sense of the term, that then fosters spiritual maturity. And what, I, what do I mean by maturity? Christ-likeness. That's what I mean by it. And if it is not Christ-likeness, it is, um, is pseudo-spiritual. It is true, it is not true spirituality that honors God and glorifies him. So I've got this kind of broken up. We're gonna, we're gonna look at it a little bit different than both of these categories, but I want you to just kind of see like how they, they, they divide this up. So this first section is, is kind of been kind of created and he's kind of one of the gurus for this, um, indebted to this man for so many different reasons. A gentleman by the name of Richard Foster wrote a book years ago called The Celebration of Discipline. Still remember the first time I read it, it blew my mind. It was like my favorite book for like three straight years and I read it and read it and read it and loved it and shared it with, bought a whole bunch of copies and I still am so indebted to his insight. I want you to see kind of how he's got these categorized. He talks about those disciplines which are inward. Meditation, prayer, fasting, study. Kind of these things that cut something going on like inside of me. Then these outward disciplines of simplicity and solitude and submission and service where I'm kind of directed to kind of the environment that's around me. So it's not turning in, it's kind of recognizing what's going on without. And then lastly, these corporate disciplines, things that we do together. Confessing our sin. Confession of even like... Uh, not, not just con- actually, it's not just confession of sin, but it almost even like a confession of who Jesus Christ is. This becomes a discipline. Worship. I mean, how many of you think like, no, worship is just like what you do naturally? Really? Like, the Bible doesn't actually talk like that. The Bible says like we train people to worship. Give you a little bit of a heads up. Like, we're deeply concerned here. Ah, deeply. Paul, deeply? We're concerned. Um, just... Families, and we get that Sundays are complicated days and, you know, everybody's busy. We're concerned about those families that have their kids that go to Sunday school and then, and their older kids, and then they never really have an opportunity to like worship in here. And so the kids never really have an opportunity. So they go to Sunday school, mom and dad go to church, and then they leave because they got a busy day ahead of them. I get it. I really do. I get it. I don't know if it's the end of the world, but. Like, where do you ever, like, learn to worship? I mean, do you know where I learned to worship, actually? Kind of watching my mom and dad. And watching other people around me. Clarence Rittenhouse. It's an old man in the church that I went to who's probably in long, long gone. David Johnston. Didn't even know they had people with Johnston, a T in his name. Can you believe that? A Johnson with a T in his name. But that's how I learned to worship. I mean, I just, I'm always watching the people around me. And you might go, well, you're not supposed to do that. Why? Like, why am I not supposed to do that? 
How many of you go to a football game and you just love it when everybody's excited together? Like, why do they have cheerleaders? What are, they, what are those cheerleaders supposed to be doing? Why do, why do they do that? Why do they take, like, this dude with a flag and run him around Gallagher Iba? And what? Uh, right? We get all excited. Why do they do that? Because it does something to us, doesn't it? Never forget an older couple at this church when I first came here years ago. They just kind of said that, you know, I have a hard time at church, you know, with all the music. I'm not used to the music, you know. It's just kind of not what I'm used to. And I thought it was very fascinating because they just, they really had a hard time. Kind of, you know, somewhat disconnected. It bothered me the most when I would go to Gallagher Iba and I would see them just having a blast to an ACDC song. It just seemed a little bit weird to me. Really? ACDC? Thunderstruck? Like you have no problem getting excited there. Well, but it's the cowboys, right? Isn't isn't it weird how there's, and and by the way, we're always being trained. I mean, you might not think of like you were, how many of you were trained to worship? (laughs) Right? I was. Andrea and I know how to, when we go to the game and first down, right? We know how to worship. In so many contexts, we know how to worship. And yet we go, no, let's just be natural. I remember um, Terry Carpenter, uh, when, when he was an elder here at the church, he had a, a, just a deep concern. Um, I, I just wish people, like, when we would be, and be careful equating just singing songs with worship. That's only one aspect of it. When I say worship, I don't mean singing songs. There's so much more. It's, it's, a, it's this full response to who God is. And music is a way that we kind of recognize it really easily. But I remember one time Terry saying, you know, I just, I worry about like in our singing time and our singing worship, like people being disconnected. And I wish we could figure out a way to get them, you know, kind of more involved. And I remember just kind of like looking around the room and realizing like, if they really love Jesus, they'll have no problem doing it. No matter where you go, by the way. I've been in churches where they sing very different than us and I somehow know how because in the end, I'm not like worshiping the song. I'm worshiping the, the one I'm singing to. I've been in other countries. Paul, remember Africa? Didn't, I have no idea. I was boobaloo or whatever. I didn't know a word that I was saying. I had no idea, but I was worshiping. Not didn't know a word. Because why? Because it's actually, I'm not worshiping the song. I'm worshiping the one that the song is going to. And so it's so important that, I mean, you, you see it in this instance. It's so interesting. Like, so where in these disciplines... Where did we learn these things? Inward, outward, corporate. Another book that I was kind of going through, I like this. There's other categories as well, but these are the two I just want you to see. As we go, we'll we'll break these down. I'll kind of describe them um, more specifically in the coming weeks. But I love this. Disciplines of abstinence, i.e. disciplines where I stop. Disciplines where I um, kind of hold myself in check. Disciplines... Um, of denial in a sense, right? Think about those, like solitude, silence, <laughs> fasting, being frugal, not cheap, but intentionally like saying no to things. Um, chastity, which by the way, the Bible talks about. The Bible talks about chastity. The Apostle Paul says, um, in a marriage context, sex should be a normal part of that, now, there should be a time, actually, when even a married couple says, you know what, I, don't, I do not know of a married couple who's ever had this conversation, at least that they've shared with me, 
where they've actually said, listen, I I like having sex because it's a gift from God, but we need to not do that for a while so that we can focus on prayer. Right? I know know marriages that have terrible sex lives. Paul doesn't say that. Actually, Paul says that's sinful. Okay? But Paul does say there is a time to refrain from this. For what purpose? So that we can focus on this. It's not because sex is bad. It's a denial so that we can get our attention on. Do you see that? Wow. Um, um, uh, secrecy. And then sacrifice. And then disciplines of engagement. So there's times that we withdraw so that we can rely on God. There's other times we engage when we can feel participation with him. So study, again, worship, celebration, service, prayer, fellowship, confession, submission. I loved both of those ideas. So when you're thinking about, like, and, and by the way, here's one thing I would like for you to do. Either on the top three or the bottom two, which one are you, do you naturally go to? Can I, I mean, I'm not, it's not going to be a quiz afterwards, but I'd love for you to circle the ones if there is, like in terms of the categories, where do you naturally go? Because I, 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 I know people, and they usually go to one direction or the other. And I would tell you that probably isn't the way that we should describe things. It should be far more uniform. So what are the, what are the purpose of these disciplines? Again, let me quote something from Eugene Peterson. L- listen to this. I want to read it slowly because this is good stuff. In actual practice, because what spiritual disciplines do is they confront our control freakness. We like to be in control of things, do we not? We love to be in control of things, and there's many ways in which we work to do that. So why do these spiritual disciplines help us to recognize the spirit-filledness in us? How do they hold us in check, both through abstinence as well as through engagement? In actual practice... Spirituality very often develops into, this is kind of what happens when you don't have Jesus and the Holy Spirit, listen to this, neurosis. It degenerates into selfishness. It becomes pretentious. It can even turn violent. I mean, how many of you have heard that religious expressions can actually bleed into violence, right? We talk about this all the time. All these religious endeavors. Why? It's, it's honestly because it's not spirit-filled. We, we shouldn't be surprised. Things that are the most intimate can turn to violence when they don't have God at the center. You really shouldn't be surprised by it. Violence in the name of religion, in the name of spirituality? Don't go, how dare they? No, I get it. But it's, by the way, that's not the way God actually intended it. How does this happen? Look at this. The short answer is that it happens when we step outside the gospel story, which is salvation by grace through faith, the work of Jesus Christ, not you. And it takes ourselves as the basic and authoritative text for our spirituality. Let me say that again. Where do we get neurosis? Where do we get a degeneration of our spirituality? You know where we see it? When we step outside of the gospel story and we make ourselves the center. You know where this is true? This is true in every form of theology where it becomes about our gender, being male or female. I've seen it happen when it becomes about our race. I've seen it when it becomes about our sexual orientation. Let me tell you who I am. I'm a man. I'm 49. I'm a man. And now my manness is what determines everything else around me. 
completely ignoring that the gospel story says, hey, by the way, um, you're not a man, you're a sinful man, right? It's, it's not about those things, which by the way, it doesn't, those things don't dissolve, but that's why the apostle Paul in the book of Galatians says, in Christ there is neither, and it, by the way, it doesn't mean that these things do not exist, but there becomes something that unifies us in the gospel story. But when anybody begins to accentuate any kind of hyphenated version of Christianity, it cuts against the gospel. And now all of a sudden, I've got a cause. I've got an issue. And I, all of those, Jim Johnson, deep conviction, that is when there can be a misunderstanding and then a misappropriation, and it can happen to any human on any kind of a cause. I've seen men do it and exploit it. I've seen white people do it and exploit it. I've seen women do it and exploit it. I've seen different sexual orientations do it and exploit it. You name it. Any category that lifts that up and steps outside of the gospel story or uses themselves in any issue, Republican way, a Democrat way, I mean, whatever cause you want, when that happens, something fundamentally breaks. And that is why these disciplines of worship and confession, these disciplines of solitude and silence, these disciplines of meditation and prayer kind of strip all these other things away. And by the way, I don't become this nebulous blob of, of, of genderless being. That's not, hear me, you know, it, it's not that my Canadianness just goes away. It, it just fits in this like category way down here that lives in the shadow of the cross. Does that make sense? That's what Paul says all the time. It just, everything you are lives in the shadow of the cross. That's what spiritual formation is ultimately what it's all about. Um, so there's two things that I want you to just be careful of and we're gonna see how these unpack. There's the two kinds that as we talk about these spiritual disciplines, be very careful against what I'm gonna label as aggressive spiritual formation, which is legalism. How many of you have done your Bible reading for today? Raise your hand. How many of you have committed, actually? <laughs> Some of you started doing it. <laughs> um, which, by the way, is awesome. But imagine what it would be like if I said, okay, and for those of you that haven't read your Bible, I need you out. Um, it's, it's funny, because people see me wear a tie, which, by the way, I love wearing them. And so people see me, and they're like, hey, so well, you're wearing a tie. And I'm like, well, of course. We all know God loves us more when we wear, like, our best. But we can, honestly, if we're being, we kind of think that a little bit, at least I do. I have to, like, I need the gospel to keep me in check on these things. I need the, which, by the way, then the answer isn't, well, yeah, yeah, I don't read my Bible. I'm really spiritual. No, like, that's dumb. That's even dumber. Dumb and dumber. <laughs> right? Read your Bible. That'll make you more spiritual without the Holy Spirit, without kind of a commitment to him. No. Fine, I won't read my Bible. That'll make, no, no, dumb and dumber. What is it about? It's about more than that. So guard against this aggressiveness that then begins to legalize everything. So as I'm talking about fasting and even encouraging you to do it, I, I don't need you to kind of like run to crazy town on I've got to do that or not or da 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 da. No, I'll, I just I pray the Spirit lead you as these things work. So guard against aggressiveness that leads to legalism. Also guard against a passivity that leads to licentiousness. To be licentious is to disregard rules. Okay? And there are, there are groups of people that are so afraid of legalism that they just chuck everything out. And it's absolutely just whatever you want, just go in any direction. And I want to go, no, 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 that's not spiritual. The Bible doesn't talk like that. 
Again, what, what, what brings this together is your absolute understanding and recognition that it is understanding the gospel and then the promise of the Holy Spirit living in you. And then being patient, by the way. Can I tell you? When I say you need to be patient with God's work in you, it's understanding that do you believe that God is, 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 saw you at one place and is now bringing you to something else? Do you believe that? Yes. And therefore, he's the one doing the work. And I know you want to kick yourself about it. And I, and I kind of think that might not be a bad thing because it might be the spirit that's trying to convict you that you need to surrender more to him. I don't want to get in the way of that. I always remember a couple of years ago, I had people come to my office and they'd be all upset and I felt like it was my job to make them feel better. And then there was a couple of times I genuinely felt like the Holy Spirit went, okay, do that again and I will come down there myself and get you. Like I was convicting them and all you did was make them feel better and I was the one convicting them. Don't get in my way. Wow. I needed to hear that. Sometimes when someone's going, man, I just, I'm not giving like I should. Oh, you're doing fine. What if the Spirit's telling them that? I'm not honoring my wife like I should. Oh, you're doing great. What if the Spirit's speaking? Right? Guard against rigid legalism, that's not the spirit, guard against, eh, whatever. No, don't do that. Both of those are wrong. Lastly, Eugene Peterson says this. This is my favorite quote of the night. Are you ready for this? Listen to this. Why is commitment to Jesus so critical? Listen to this. This is one of my favorite ideas I've ever read in my life, actually. I have this underlined in all my books. I love this. Listen to this. Spirituality without commitment is analogous to sexuality without commitment. Quick and casual, superficial and impersonal, selfish and loveless, eventually a parody of its initial promise. Deprived of commitment, sexuality, meaning outside of a marriage context, degenerates into addiction, violence, and boredom. Right? Pornography, violence, rape. Or how about just the idea of just addiction? Why? Because there's no commitment. But listen to this. Spirituality, no matter how, deprived of commitment, spirituality, no matter how wise or promising, will have a short self life, shelf life if there's no commitment. And by the way, so commitment, what we're talking about is a commitment to the gospel, a commitment to Christ-likeness. This is the problem that if you've spent your life just trying, hear me, trying to be spiritual without a commitment to Jesus, then what you're actually doing is trying to show up on Sunday enough times in a row and then hopefully like after like, you know, 20 years of that, you're more like Jesus. No, no more. If Andrea and I don't work on our marriage, you know marriages that this happens, right? They're with each other for 30 years. They wake up and they go, how many of you know a marriage that this happened? 30 years, they wake up and they go, I don't know you and I don't think I want to be with you. Have you heard of this? That is, a, that is a marriage without commitment. No, but you're married. You should just, I mean, did you ever have lunch together? Like, didn't you take the kids to your baseball game? Okay, no, no, that's not commitment. Commitment is like this commitment. Think about it. Spirituality without a commitment to Jesus has a short, so many people, I wanna be a follower of Jesus, I wanna be a follower of Jesus. They wanna be a spiritual person. Not follower of Jesus, spiritual person. So hear me, do you want to be a spiritual person or do you want to be obedient to Jesus Christ in everything? 
Do you see the difference? One will lead to Christ-likeness. The other one will have a short, a short shelf life. And what is the difference? Let me close with this. It's the difference between training or trying. Training or trying. So Eugene Peterson uses this example, although he uses a baseball example, but I'll use a basketball example. Um, one of the things is, is that if you were to say to me, hey, Jim, um, what I want you to do is, let's say, let's say this was, it wasn't about Jesus, it was about basketball. Okay, this whole thing is about basketball. And I said to you, hey, coach, here's what I can do. Um, I'm going to, if you give me the ball, I can go into that game, just two seconds left, and I can, from anywhere on the court, I can just whiff it at the backboard. And it might go in. I'll try. I can always promise you that I'm going to try. A lot of us have that mentality towards our spiritual walk. Try. You need to try. Come on, you can try. But in, when it comes to basketball, like something that's really important, what do we do? We don't try. We don't want people who try. You don't beat Texas Tech if you just try. What do you have to do? Train. Coach isn't going to give you the ball. No, but if you train, if you're coming to practice, if you're working on that, if you know how to run a play, and how many of you literally are so frustrated in your spiritual walk, it's dead, it's, it's not, you know, it's just, you have a hard time worshiping, you have a hard time understanding the Bible, you have a hard time feeling like your prayer life is going anywhere, because in the end, basically what you're doing is you're trying to run in at the end of the game and just kind of throw the basketball at the, right? So much of my spiritual life has just been spent trying, and I just feel like a failure, so I just quit playing basketball. It's like what I did with golf. I just finally said, yeah, me going out once a year and doing that, that is a waste of time, energy, and money. What we're talking about in these spiritual disciplines is not just trying to worship God on Sunday morning, not just trying to read your Bible, not just trying to pray, not just trying to give, but training to. That's what spiritual disciplines are all about. Love you guys. We will see you Sunday when we talk more about this mind of Christ stuff. That's all I got.